On just after midnight, on June 30th, 1997, I was standing uh, on the central harbor front, just opposite the British barracks that are now the PLA barracks. And um, I was standing there with Christine and uh, a few of our friends, and we had just witnessed the celebrations on the streets that had just happened immediately at that moment of the handover from the British back to mainland China, and the reality that we were now standing in a new historic moment, a new moment for the history of Hong Kong and for the city, and this idea that a basic law was in place, and that for 50 years there would be a certain sense of self-autonomy and freedom for our city. And I remember two very distinct emotions in that time. You could almost sense them in the air. There was this emotion of excitement and joy, this, this jubilation of a new time for Hong Kong and its history. But right alongside of that was a sense of nervousness, not exactly sure how things would go, uh, a sense of apprehension and perhaps even a little bit of fear there. Almost as if Hong Kong now had a new dance partner. The old dance partner, the British, is gone and a new dance partner had arrived and the city was wondering, I don't know if I can actually dance with this dance partner. What song is going to be sung? What moves are we going to do together? And so there was this tangible mix of this in the air. And as we were witnessing and experiencing all of this at the same time, something absolutely fascinating happened just after midnight. Where we were standing right by the barracks, there was a bunch of police, Hong Kong police, standing right there. And just after midnight, they took off their hat and they took the emblem that said the Royal Hong Kong Police, and they pulled off the badge, they put it in their pocket, and they pulled out another badge. And this badge just said Hong Kong Police, and they put it on their hat. And it was a very kind of nonchalant thing that happened, but carried a huge amount of significance to it, as if there was a shifting in authority that had just taken place. And as we watched all the policemen do this, Cheekily, I walked up to one of them and I said, could I have the Royal Hong Kong police badge, please? <laughs> to which his reply was, no, they must be destroyed. At midnight this week on Tuesday, June 30th, 2020, 23 years later, I think another significant shift took place. And no matter how you might feel today as we come in about the national security bill, the reality of that bill came into force at midnight, right in time for July 1st, signifies that there has been a shift for us. If you will, I believe that there has been a taking off of one badge, maybe the badge that read one country, two systems, and a new badge has been put in place. We may not yet know exactly what that badge reads, but we do have a sense, don't we, that we are now standing in a different Hong Kong, a historic shifting has taken place. And maybe just like in 97, where there were those two types of emotions there in the air, I sense this week that there's both of those kinds of emotions in the air again for us. Some of you in this room are feeling a sense of cautious positivity about the national security bill. Maybe you're grateful for the increased level of safety and security that will bring our city. You're, you're grateful for the reality that it might enable the economy to really take root again and, and perhaps the, the job situation in the city get better. And there's a cautious optimism for you. If that's you here, you're welcome here. We're glad you're here. But there's others of us in this room where because of what's happened this week, there's a sense of anxiety again, a sense of fear, 
a sense of not really sure what is the right way forward, a, a sense, if you will, that maybe Hong Kong doesn't have a dance partner at all anymore, that Hong Kong has almost been now exiled to the outskirts of the dance floor whilst everybody else seems to be dancing at our expense. No matter how you might be feeling this morning, there is no more important time for the diversity of our opinions and perspectives in this church to gather together on this Sunday and gather with the audacious idea that God is still in control. To gather with the reality that now, maybe more than ever, we need the Word of God to come. That we need God again to speak life into us, to begin to give us a new picture of what this city, of what this society, of what the churches might now look like. Could it be that actually it's our time right now to think about building and planting? I, th I think it's no, uh, no strange coincidence that we finish our series on Logos today looking at these two words, build and plant. We've been going through uh, the passage of uh, Jeremiah 1 verses 9 to 10 over the last four weeks, and we finished today, and I think God knew that on this Sunday, as we gathered off the back of the week that we've had, that we would gather with these two words, build and plant. Now, you might look at the six words that we've been looking at over this series, and you might be thinking, there are some other words I feel like I want to be talking about today. Again, we recognize that. But I want to put it to you this, that perhaps in this moment of history, and perhaps in this moment of a new Hong Kong, perhaps in this season, it's actually the season more than ever that the Word of God and the Kingdom of God wants to come and do something fresh. Perhaps now more than ever, this is the hour by which we are called to be Christ-like. <laughs> On Tuesday, um, we gathered our pastors together to pray, to intercede for the city. We just heard that the security bill had been passed. And we gathered all the pastors together for a time of intercession. And as we began to pray, all the emotions that you could imagine came out. Anger, frustration, fear anxiety, wonder, questionings, all of it, tears were shed. Perhaps for some of you today, that's going to be an appropriate response for you, tears to be shed. This is a safe place for you to do so. And as we prayed and travailed and deceded and felt swept up by all of these kinds of emotions, we suddenly, amazingly, beautifully began to hear some new prayers being prayed amongst us. We began to sense uh, something else rising up in the midst of those emotions. We began to speak about the importance and the need of the gospel. We began to pray that gospel would come and people would come to Christ like never before. We began to find ourselves beginning to pray and feel hope rising up in us. We we began to speak of the truth of God's word. We began to speak of expectation of what Hong Kong might actually look like in the future. We felt ourselves standing in a place where we believed that God had not given up on us. And this rising up was such a, a powerful, beautiful experience. And at the end of the prayer time, I, I got all the pastors to stand, and we stand in a circle, and I looked at everybody in the eye, and I said some words over the pastors, um, and I didn't write them down at the time. I thought about them later. I think I captured the, the gist of them. They were these words. Let me read this to you. I said, it is for exactly this kind of week that you have been called to be pastors at the Vine. 
This is why you are here. We carry the only hope there is. Go and shepherd the people of our church and the people of our city. And what I said to the pastors on Tuesday, I want to now stand here before you and say exactly the same thing to you. Because you know what? It's not just our pastors that get the privilege of doing this. We are all the priesthood of all believers, as Peter says. And every single one of you has a sphere of influence in this city. Every single one of you in this room have people that you are impacting around you. And those people are hurting, and they're in pain, and they're anxious, and they're fearful, or they're wrestling with a whole bunch of emotions, the same ones that you're wrestling with. And I would say this to you. This is why you are a Christian in Hong Kong right now. This is why you were born here, whether you grew up here, whether you were moved here by some business or company. You are in Hong Kong for this time. Go and pastor our city. Go and love the people. Go and stand amongst them and hear their hurts and hear their emotions and sit with them and be listeners to them. Go and bring forth with confidence and power the gospel of Jesus, knowing that the only hope that there is sits in you through the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Will you go? to build and to plant a new future for our city. I believe the power is in your hands. And not just the hands of this church, but the hands of the churches across this city and the hands of the Christians that believe in Christ in this place. What an opportunity that is before us. But do you know what? <laughs> Here's the thing. It's easier to be a prophet of doom than it is to be a healer of wounds or a feeder of sheep. Oh, it's easier. It's easier to point out all the things that are broken and wrong than it is actually to be a part of the people that fix them. It's so much easier to join with the choruses that are loud and proud about all of the stuff that is negative than it is actually to be a person who is a champion of genuine progress and justice. I think actually the thing that we're, we're called to this week is really the work of the gospel, and, and let me summarize it. Let me say that the work of the gospel is this, the daring to stand in the rubble of brokenness and not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Oh, come on, church. That's why we are here. That's what we're called to. This is the reason why, why Jeremiah, when he hears God's word, say to him these six important things, uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow, build, and plant. It's the reason why God doesn't stop with the disruption. It's because God wants to bring them on a trajectory to the reality that there is always hope. That there is this thing, God didn't stop at the end of all that was the darkness, but he pushed into also the thing that comes out of the darkness as things are uprooted, torn down, destroyed, and overthrown. The things that raise up, that are built and planted by his words, are there specifically to say, this is the reason why we're here, to build and to plant. And what a what a challenge it is for us to do so, because I think today we have a choice to make. It's almost like Joshua standing, or Moses standing before Israel and saying, hey, today you've got a choice of life or death, but me and my family, we're going to choose life. 
wonder whether we might say, oh man, this is really bad. We could be a prophet of doom or a healer of a nation. Me and the vine, my church, we're going to choose life. (laughs) How do we do this? That's the great question. How do we do this? Well, maybe we can learn some things from these two words that we have in our text today, the idea of building and planting. The word for build here is the word bana in uh, Hebrew. Bana means to fortify, to strengthen, to, um, to make something rebuilt. It's the idea actually not so much of building something brand new, but fortifying and strengthening the thing that was there in the first place, making that more bold, more courageous, more solidified, fortified in the place that it is. That's the idea of bana. The idea of planting is the Hebrew word nata. And nata means to um, to kind of plant, to drive deep, to establish firmly, firmly establish something. It's the idea of having such deep roots, whether that's with the root system of a plant or whether that's pylons that go in to put up a massive building, but those strengths of those foundations. And here's the interesting thing. Both of these words, the idea of strengthening and fortifying, the idea of driving deep and firmly establishing, both of these words are primarily used in the Old Testament to speak about people to speak about not so much what you do with the building or what you do with this, but to use it in a way to speak about what God wants to do in a people. In fact, interestingly, the word for build is most often used in the, in the Old Testament to the making of children or the building of a family. The establishment of generations is the idea of fortifying and strengthening a family. Likewise, the word for nata here is most often used when it's speaking about what God wants to do with the people in a new place or a new land. He wants to plant them down so that the people, the community, would be able to actually flourish. So so when when God says, here's what my word's going to do, it's going to uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow, but then it's going to do this thing for my people. My people will be firmer, more established, more secure, more strengthened, more built up, more firmly rooted, more completely able to flourish in the place that they are than ever before. I mean, what a promise that is for us as we step into the week that we've just stepped into. That actually here in this place, we could become this. Because the danger would be to think that in order for us to be more firmly rooted, in order for us to grow and build and plant, in order for us to flourish as human beings, we need to leave or, or remove ourselves or so dramatically change our context that we're suddenly now happy with everything that's going on. See, if, if our hope is actually found in a better society or our hope is actually found in a different political situation or something like that, then actually I think we've completely missed the point. Because here's the fascinating thing. When Jeremiah uses the words for build and plant, he uses them most often when Israel was in exile in Babylon. The very place that they didn't want to be. The very place where they felt oppressed. The very place where they felt overwhelmed by the regime and the structure around them. It was in there that God speaks to them about what it is to be firmly established, fortified, strengthened, and built up and released so that they could flourish. Let me show you this from Jeremiah chapter 29. This is perhaps the most famous chapter in Jeremiah. It's the chapter of that amazingly famous fridge magnet verse that says, I know that I have a way of prospering you of not harming you. You know that one? You will have it on your fridges, I know. 
But just before that passage, God comes and says something absolutely fascinating, counterintuitive, controversial to the people of Israel living in exile on the outside of the dance floor, if you will. In verse 4 of uh, chapter 29, it says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem, the place where you want to be, to Babylon, where you don't want to be. Here's what I say. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have now carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, so too will you prosper. In the place of exile. In exile, build and plant. Increase, don't decrease. Intermarry, put those roots down in your family. Make this a place for your home. And do it right here in the place that you think you do not want to be. This is the time, God is saying to Israel, where you can experience the power of my love and my flourishing like ever before. Put your roots down, pray for the stability of that city, because as you pray for it, as they receive it, you will also prosper. In Babylon, build and plant. Hmm. You would think Israel would say, when I get back to Jerusalem, you know, when I get back there, let me, let me put my roots down, right? Let, let that be the place of my flourishing and stability. Oh, I long, long, long. And God's like, right where you are right now. Because we serve a rebuilding God. We serve a God who is never at an end. We serve a God that no matter what might be taking place, as we just sung earlier, he is still working. Whether we feel it, whether we know it, whether we see it, he is still at work. Because he's a real bold in God, wherever it is that you might be, whether that's physically or spiritually, emotionally, whatever, he has not given up on you. Your Babylon is his place of fertility. It's the place where he wants to build and plant and grow, where he wants you to put some roots down. And this is crazy because if you think about all that we've been preaching in this series over the last three weeks, this is what really God is saying about the idea of building and planting in wherever it is that you find yourself. What he's saying is there is no roots that are so deep into the broken core beliefs of the lies that the enemy has put in you that my word cannot come and change. There is no self-fortifying fortress that you've built up in your life that my word of God cannot come and tear down. That there is no sin that you are so entangled in that I cannot come and destroy and overthrow. I'm a rebuilding God. Which means that you must also be a rebuilding people. We're standing in a history moment in Hong Kong where I think God's looking out and he's saying, will my people rebuild? Hmm. It's a challenge. But the same power that is at work to tear down all of the darkness, that same power is at work to build up the kingdom. 
In fact, just a a few verses after uh, chapter 29, let me read this to you in chapter 31, verses 28. It says this. I want you to notice what the Lord says to Israel in exile. He says, just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down, to overthrow and destroy and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant. In other words, the same effort, the same power, the same work that my word did to change everything, to bring down that stuff, to overcome all of that, that same power is now at work to see you established, fortified, strengthened, built up, re-rooted, rebuilt, so that you would become the people of hope that I so desperately desire you to be. I'm a God of hope, looking for a people of hope, to take the gospel of hope into all aspects of that society. Seek the good of Babylon. And when it comes this way and you see God's passion in this, you begin to sense that this is an important moment in history. And the question we ask is, well, well how do we do this? How do we, how do we build and plant? What does that process look like? Well, I want to offer three quick things on that for you this morning. I think what it looks like is the reality of an ongoing process. The danger for us is to think that we are ever completely ready. (laughs) The danger for us is to think that we've always got it sorted out, that we're ready to go. The reality is what Jeremiah is saying through these six words is that there is always an ongoing preparation for us, that God is constantly preparing us all the time for the thing that he really wants us to be doing. That the whole work of the uprooting and the tearing down, the destroying and overthrowing is in order that we might be prepared for the building and the planting. And that's not just a one-off moment, but there's an ongoing cycle as we live in the now but not yet tension of the reality that there is sin in this world, the reality that we're not fully the people that we long to be, the reality of our need for the grace and the mercy of God. I'm ever-changing, ever-growing, ever-needing. God, would you prepare me for this week? Yes, but for the weeks ahead that I'm not even aware of yet. This is why Jesus, when he, when he speaks about what it is to, to grow with the Word of God, he talks about the parable of the sower. And, and he says, we've got to be careful because sometimes our soil is hard. Sometimes the soil is shallow and the thing jumps up real quick and then dies away or gets wiped away real quick with the, the first rains that come. No, we are to be so deeply rooted. How? By the churning of that soil, by the changing of that soil, by, by aerating it. And really what God is saying through this idea of building and planting, this is always a constant cycle. Of, of allowing by humility God to come and stir up that soil of the hardened hearts that we carry. And in weeks like we've had this week, it's so easy for our hearts to get hard again. So easy for us to get bitter again. So easy for the fear to come in again. And all that ever does is harden the very thing that God wants to keep soft. And so there's this ongoing preparation. It, it's almost like God is saying to us as a church, are you prepared? Are you prepared for the work I'm calling you to do right now? And are you going to be prepared for the work I've got for you to do in the future? Allow me to build and plant in you to constantly prepare you for all that's ahead. Jim's going to come next week, and and in his last message that he's going to bring us, he's going to talk about this deep, important word of being steadfast in our faith and preparing ourselves for the future, even a future that might involve suffering. And I want to encourage you once again to be here next week to listen to Jim. So this idea of preparation is critical. But here's the second thing. There is also this 
long-term process that we're now called to. The metaphor of building and planting are not metaphors of quick and easy things. It takes a while to build something. There's a, there's a long period of time of construction to get to the final product. Same with the planting of something. It doesn't happen immediately. Suddenly there's not the tree there. The acorn gets planted first, and over a long period of time, it begins to show forth. And I think one of the things that God is saying to Christians in Hong Kong this week is he's saying there's a long road ahead. There's a process that I'm in. I'm not overwhelmed. I'm at work. I'm calling my church to be at work. But are you willing to, to submit yourself to that long process where we enable ourselves to go so deeply rooted that whatever storms might come, we're not shaken, we're not moved. We're actually able to be those purveyors of hope that we long to be. <laughs> See, here at The Vine, we're committed to building big people. And I think now more than ever in the situation where we are in our city, that's so key for us. And I think the building and the planting work of the Word of God in our church in this season is to do a number of things. And let me tell you about them. I think it is to do this. I think it's to give you such a robust theological worldview on life that you are deeply rooted and secure no matter what the shaking might happen around you. I believe it's to give you such a broad biblical perspective of Scripture, that you know the whole story, not just little aspects of proof text that you use, the whole narrative of Scripture so that you can fully find your story in it. I believe it is to give you such a confidence with the gospel that you know that as you share the hope of Jesus Christ to your sphere of influence, that you have confidence that Christ is at work to bring people to their knees and to confess salvation in Him. It's to give you a passion for radical justice. To believe that God is at work in the city, in society, in his people, to move them towards the kind of place that he longs for it to be. And it's to be radical in how we love our neighbors. Understanding what it is to embrace those around us, to, to actually come down and to listen and learn, to, to serve wholeheartedly with the people that we are called to be around in the apartment buildings and the neighborhoods that we're planted in. And all of this is the sweep of the gospel so that we might declare with one voice like Paul does to the church in Corinth that we might be persecuted, but we're not brought down. We might be shaken, but we're not overwhelmed. We might be we might be really struggling with perplexion, but we are not in despair. No, in all things, we feel the death of Christ so that the life of Christ might be made known in us. The process of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus is so important right now. And we do it together. That's the third and final thing. That together we plant and build. This is not a solitary exercise. You are not there out on your own. The beautiful thing of us in this moment is we gather together with the diversity of perspectives, with the differences of our opinions, with even the differences that get to so, such a point that we struggle to understand one another, but we do it together in the body of Christ, knowing that what unites us is always greater than what seeks to divide us. That the love of Christ is at work, that we can disagree and love together. And that we get to do that in this kind of community. So we begin to build and plant something of the kind of community that actually has something to say to our city around it. And that hope rises up in us through it. 
when we do it together. You see, the enemy will always want to make you feel divided and alone. The gospel calls us to be united and together. Could we build a community that could truly make a difference in this city? Let me pull all this together and give you a summary slide of what I think uh, this is all about. If this is your church, and this is your community, and this is your city, this is what we are committed to do together, to be disciples of Jesus for this critical time, to allow the Logos to uproot, tear down, destroy, and overthrow all darkness in us so that he can then build us up as people of hope who plant us with that hope into all spheres of society. That's why Jesus died. That's the gospel. And that is the church that our city needs. Amen. And you know, that church is alive. I want to tell you one quick story and then I'm going to close. A few years ago, I was invited out for a lunch with a missionary to China who is going to remain anonymous for obvious reasons. And this missionary to China sat me down for lunch and he said, do you want to hear a story about the word of God? Yes. He said, let me tell you about a Bible. He said, this Bible was printed in 1914, one of the earliest printed Bibles in China, printed in Chinese. It wasn't the whole Old Testament and the New Testament. All it was was a collection of stories from the Gospels about Jesus' life. And this person had collected these stories, had decided to print up this Bible, one copy only, and had beautifully created some beautiful pictures of a Chinese Jesus serving Chinese people. And he said, this Bible was so precious and so rare that for 50 years, it was passed amongst the underground churches in China. And, and this Bible would get passed to church to church, and the church was allowed to have it for one week and one week only. And every night, because it was too dangerous to hold the word in your house in case you got caught, you buried the Bible in your back garden. So every night, the Bible would be buried in some back garden, in some kind of plastic bag, and then during the day, it would be unearthed, and it would be read under candlelight in secrecy by the church, beginning to believe that this Jesus was the only way, truth, and life, beginning to believe in the hope that the gospel raises, beginning to believe that they could be a radical impact to their society and their communities around them, loving their neighbors, just like all these stories that the gospel told them. For over 50 years, this Bible was carried, planted, carried, planted, blood, sweat, and tears at the risk of life in order for the Logos to be heard. Are you with me? Yeah. And then he says, do you want to see it? I said, what? He said, do you want to see it? I have it in my bag. I'm like, yes, I want to see this Bible. And he just literally, his backpack, he pulls out this Bible, not wrapped up in anything, and he puts it in my hands. It was one of the most significant spiritual experiences of my life. Can you imagine what it would be like to hold that very Bible that had been carried and smuggled and buried so that a church would come alive? Would you like to see the Bible? I don't have the actual physical thing. Uh, it's, it's now in a museum in Washington. But let me show you the photos I took on the day. There it is. Look at the beautiful Jesus. Look, he's Chinese Jesus. It's so cool. 
I love this one. This is Chinese Jesus sitting under a banyan tree with Chinese children around him. Bring the little children to me. We need inspiration for this hour. Ironically, we just look over the border at a church that has flourished because they believe in the confidence of the gospel through the word of God. May we, may we rise up with the same amount of confidence in this hour. I hear Jesus saying over Hong Kong, the harvest is plentiful. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are the workers few? Can we pray? Let's pray. Father, in this moment, in this hour, with all of the emotions we carry and all the diversity that's beautifully in this room, we come. And Lord, we come because we believe in the gospel. We come because we believe in those stories of Jesus and the gospels. We come because we believe that we are stronger together than apart. We come because you are giving us hope in this time. And Father, while we know that there will be weeks and months ahead where the word of God will still do the much needed work of tearing down, uprooting, destroying, overthrowing, Lord, we stand in this week committed to the building and the planting committed to bring forth the gospel with confidence, believing the word, the logos, the, the written, spoken, incarnate word of God, filled now with hope again, so that we might go into a harvest that is plentiful, so that we might walk into the, the, the workplaces and the schools and the environments and the neighborhoods of this city, not defeated, not knocked down, but actually in a place where we say there is a rebuilding and a replanting that is at work. Father, would you come now and give us this hope? Lord, it's not just words. It is a living gospel inside of us, and that comes through the outworking of the Holy Spirit. If you would like to just receive more of the Holy Spirit now to empower you for the work of the gospel in your city, would you just open your hands with me in this moment? And as we open our hands together, this is a significant moment for us. Fill us, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, no matter how we are feeling right now, we come with our hands open, humble before you, asking for the power of the Spirit of God to awaken us to strengthen us, to fortify us, to enable us to drive deep into the culture of this city, to enable us to commit ourselves to be prepared for what is ahead, to enable us to believe in the process that you're at work and be committed to the long process that is here. To be people who together love despite our differences. Make us men and women of the gospel and make us a church of power in this hour. Rise up, Lord. Rise your church up, Lord. We pray for all the churches of our city right now. 
that are gathering across this land in this moment. And we pray, Lord, for your spirit to flow. We ask for revival for weary hearts, Lord. We ask for hope where we've been overwhelmed with darkness, Lord. And we ask that you would give us you would give us courage to live the gospel as radically as we see happening around us that has been going on for hundreds of years. Make the church in Hong Kong like that for your glory. Everybody says, amen. May you go and pastor your city and pastor it with power and courage this week. God bless everyone. Thanks.